listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Strategies podcast. This is your host, Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor, and board member. Today, we will feature the book, Rising Strong by Brenye Brown. Our guest today is Amrita Prasad, who is currently the VP of Product Design at Calm, an app that focuses on meditation and mindfulness. It's one of my favorite topics too. She also was one of Uber's first UX designers and saw the company through its rocket ship growth over the course of eight years. Welcome Amrita to 10X Growth Strategies podcast. Hi Preeti, really excited to be here. Fantastic, tell us about yourself, uh, key highlights from your career journey. Of course. Okay. I'm going to start from the very, very beginning. So my parents moved here from India and my dad was a software engineer. And since I was a little girl, it was always my dream to become a software engineer, just like my dad. And um, so I was taking C++ coding classes in high school. I got into the computer science program at Carnegie Mellon and about a year-ish into my coursework, I realized that programming was not my life passion in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And so what I was able to discover uh, was this career path called human-computer interaction, where I realized that um, I didn't care as much how things were built, but I cared more about how people interacted with those things. So um, when I graduated, I actually moved to the Bay Area from Pittsburgh to work at Cisco on their Cisco WebEx platform. And from there, after about a year and a half, I really started to itch to join the startup scene. And I joined a startup called Miso that was in the social television space. Now, you might not have heard of Miso because in about a year, they laid off everybody and the company does not exist anymore. So um, I was in my lower 20s without a job, uh, interviewed at Google, Amazon, Facebook, everyone rejected me. And right when I thought I would have to pack up and go back home uh, to the East Coast, I actually hop, skipped and stumbled into Uber in December, 2012 uh, as one of their first UX designers. And what was really interesting about that experience was during that period of time, uh, it was right when Uber was still an Uber black car offering. And about a month after I joined was when Uber X released. And that was kind of the period of time where everything felt like a rocket ship. And I went on to be at Uber for about eight years. And I would say that every six months at the company, maybe even every three months, Uber just felt like a radically different company. Uh, I bounced around uh, on a bunch of teams, but spent a lot of time working on the rider app experience, the driver app ratings experience, and Uber Eats. And uh, from that point, uh, post-pandemic, I spent some time uh, leading the design team at a fitness wearable company called Whoop. Uh, I'm very passionate about weightlifting and CrossFit, and uh, the Whoop is an awesome wearable that helped me manage my workouts. And from there, uh, I landed the gig that I have now, which is the VP of product design at Com, where I lead the design team there and spend my time channeling my product design efforts towards making the world a happier and healthier place. What a fantastic career. So exciting to hear <laughs> the genesis about your interest in human-centered design. That is so critical nowadays. Uh, and uh, as a marketer, I certainly work a lot with designers. And I certainly think your passion for fitness and mindfulness is something that I also love. 
And we have so many things in common, so many things to talk about <laughs> today. Love it. And when you shared about this book, Rising Strong, I'm a Brené Brown fan, but I hadn't read this book. And you know, when I read this book, I certainly had a huge takeaway from the book. Uh, I, I could feel that whole sense of vulnerability and all the mm. things that Brené talks about. I'd love to understand why you chose to read the book, Rising Strong. Okay, so kind of cheated in that I've read this book before and wanted an excuse to reread it. So this book was actually given to me by a friend during one of the lowest lows of my life around 2018. And so reading this book during that period of time was absolutely transformational and helped me realize that I could actually take my struggle and turn it into my strength. So I was really eager to actually reread and discuss this five years later to see how good I've been at following the frameworks that she talked about and honestly discuss how helpful all of this was for me. Nice. Well, it's no nothing beats like a real life experience and, and sharing actual application of a book. But before we go there, I'd love for you to summarize some of your top takeaways from the book. Alrighty. So I'm going to... Uh, lead into that by describing what I thought this book was and what it actually ended up being. So I've always thought that I was someone who is really great at rising strong when it comes to putting my mind to a task. Everyone would say that um, I'm very determined. Uh, for example, I grew up unable to carry my own backpack in high school and I was afraid of team sports. So when I decided to pursue fitness as a passion, I failed a lot in pursuit of even getting my first push-up. Uh, my trainer even told me that after three months of trying and continuing to fail, most people would have given up by now. But later than most, I had a breakthrough because I have a, a high tolerance for failure. And that breakthrough actually led to rocket ship growth that has somehow led me to become someone who now does CrossFit and active weightlifting regularly. Now, I say all of this because I applied this same approach to fitness to my career and to my relationships. And it worked to an extent, but I felt like I was just getting back up instead of actually rising strong. So what I would say is this book taught me that it's not always enough to just get back up and give it another try. You have to actually process what you're feeling and why. You have to rewrite your narrative somehow that you're telling yourself after you figure out what you're feeling. And you actually have the opportunity to embrace your fall as the reason for your strength, not something to just kind of ignore and just keep pushing through. And so um, I learned a lot on that front because the more you learn about me, my career, who I am as a person, I like to charge through walls, but taking, a time, taking the time to sit in it and be intentional about what rising back up means uh, is something that I, I learned a lot about from this book. Wow. I too went through some of that as I was reading this book recently. It made me come to terms with some of the times when I bypassed my emotions. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard thing like to come to terms with your emotions. Oftentimes from childhood, we are told, oh, no, don't get angry or don't feel sad. Mm -hmm. And we just learn to brush it away, put it under the carpet. Uh, so that's a powerful message on coming to terms and, you know, facing our emotions and how do we then go get over that on top. And uh, one of the quotes that I took away from the author was, if we own our story and mm -hmm. how we feel, 
through these experiences, we can write our own brave endings. What is a wholehearted story you can share where you wrote your brave ending by Rising Strong? A lot of stories come to mind, uh, but I think there's one particularly pivotal one that will be relevant for this discussion that I'll probably refer back to often because it was the most pivotal point in my career. So um, Uber. <laughs> Uber had a very bad year in 2017. You may have seen that in the media. And I would say during that period of time, I was working harder than ever. And my personal life was in complete shambles for a lot of reasons. I think the media spectacle particularly was hard for me because I, looking back, I realized I tied so much of my self-worth to the company and my work. Uh, I actually felt overwhelmed looking back after all of this stuff happened and realizing that what I thought was all fun and games was actually mired with ethical gray areas and, and that terrible culture there that um, I, di I didn't realize while I was going through it. I was just kind of caught up in all of the excitement. And um, in processing all of this, while all these crazy things were going on, I ended up suffering from debilitating anxiety and depression to the point that I actually had to take a leave of absence from work um, for a couple of months. And during that period of time, I wasn't sure that I ever wanted to go back to a tech job whatsoever, let alone back to Uber. Uh, and so what I did was I actually moved in with my parents for a couple of months to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And that was actually when I picked up this book for the first time. And it was life changing. So concepts like chandelier pain during the reckoning phase really resonated because there were some aspects of my work self that I couldn't even talk about because it elicited such a painful reaction. And all I wanted to do was, was numb that reaction and not think about these things. It, it was kind of like what I was referencing before where I just wanted to get back up, <laughs> but I wasn't really doing the work. Uh, but in spending that time at my parents' place, I uh, experienced some severe suburban boredom. <laughs> and that actually let me take the time to process and really sit with my emotions. I also reckoned with the story I was telling myself of being someone who had been crushed by a toxic culture and overworked to the point of no return and realized that even though all of that was true, it didn't have to completely be that way. That didn't have to be my story. Like all these things that I just said could be true, but there was a bigger story that could be and was actually true. And that story was that I learned so much along the way that most people don't get the opportunity to learn about leadership, about building things that had never been built before, about becoming one of the best in class UX designers through some of the challenges I've had to face, about building for scale, international markets. The list was actually super, super endless in terms of the skills that I was able to develop over this period of time. And I could actually use those lessons to propel my career and use what went wrong to build the culture that I wanted to build for my teams in the future as a leader. And that's why when Uber got a new CEO and an opportunity emerged for a role on Uber Eats, I seized the opportunity to rewrite my story and went on to actually return to the company and stay for three more years to be a part of that leadership group that ushered in a new era at the company, a new culture, um, and really all of this ushered a new era in my life by kind of rewriting uh, what I thought was me getting crushed with no opportunity for return into me deciding that I could take what I learned to actually uh, fix something that mattered a lot to me. Wow, amazing, amazing story there. And uh, 
you know, in Silicon Valley and even in the tech culture, there is that whole uh, as aspect of toxicity that some companies mm -hmm. have to deal with. And you brought up something very critical that uh, all of us uh, have to face at some point in our career. And we have a choice of what to do at that time. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, when we are stuck in that rut, we don't see beyond that. And, uh, and then we try to, like, you know, it's great that you actually embrace that and then came back and contributed more when the culture changed and cultures shifted. In fact, I was one of the Uber customers that chose to stop using Uber mm -hmm. when that whole issue happened and that, uh, you know, uh, and so then, but I came back later, uh, mm -hmm. like once things changed and uh, so it did affect the whole uh, community of people around Uber. Uh -huh. One other point you were talking about, which uh, which uh, the term that Brenny used was gold plating grit, right? You're getting back up and then you're actually only, uh, you know, uh, acknowledged for the aspect of you got back up from failure and that was the grit. Grit is great, but rather than just gold plating that grit, how about we also like, you know, make sure that we also shared some of those emotions and feelings and how you overcame. So somebody who's in that situation will be able to do the same. So thank you for sharing that story with us here. Oh, of course. Uh, thank you for giving me the platform. And Brenny, you mentioned had shared a lot of these frameworks that helped you. A, a few frameworks, there was a 10 rules of engagement that Brenny shared. Mm -hmm. And one of it stood out to me. Once we fail, we can rise, but we can never go back to who we were in the beginning. And the way I internalized it is that we have a change in values and character. I'd love to understand what are some value and character shifts and anything else that shifted for you when you experienced that rising strong. It this one's an interesting one because I I really agree with this because when you go through something that formational and you rewrite your narrative to actually embrace that experience to be something that actually makes you stronger, uh, I would say I started to orient my career around building mentally uh, healthy workplaces. So character-wise, I would say what's very different for me now uh, from before going through what I talked about before and now is that I have a much stronger desire to help others. Uh, for example, when I was in my most insecure, charge through walls kind of phase of my career, I had a hard time empathizing with others that weren't thinking exactly like me. Like I didn't really stop to pull others back up because I was just like, nope, I'm, I'm like gunning after this promotion. I'm going to ship this project. Like I'm going to have this impact. And now I realized how difficult it actually is for high achieving young women, especially to thrive in these types of tech environments. So I actually became eager to prove that you could fail. <laughs> you could cry at work. You could have a really bad emotional day, but that does not mean that you're any less capable or any less likely to be successful. And so Calm in particular, when I think about why I chose that um, as a company, has been a really great environment for me to support others. So not only have my struggles with anxiety been channeled into building an actual product to combat anxiety, 
But our efforts internally at Calm at creating a mentally healthy workplace has helped me get the resources I need to help others manage their stress at work. Um, and I actually really feel like had I not gone through this, I wouldn't have been as intentional to want to work for a company like this and apply this at the workplace. Excellent. I'm glad you were able to apply those lessons and then take it forward and, and make more wholehearted workplaces, if we could call them that, uh, like Brené talks about. Let's talk about comparative suffering. Oh Often man, yeah, that was a concept. <laughs> that is a really, like something really big, uh, right? That happens in society. We see people comparing themselves to others and Brené says that comparative suffering is a function of fear and scarcity. And when you see that I am enough turns into am I really enough? And maybe it might even turn into I am not enough, right? Which is my <laughs> extension to that. Have you seen this happen to yourself or others in your life? Oh man, I'm, I'm giggling because this is this is me. I am totally, totally guilty of this. I've done this in the past. I do this in the present. Um, and so uh, a salient example I'll give, I actually gave this example at a panel recently that asked a similar question. So um, when I first joined Uber, I was a senior designer, um, but I was senior of like one of three designers at the time. And so um, once the company actually started to blow up, we started hiring the best of the best talent from Google, Apple, Facebook. And I actually got demoted to a junior designer once we actually calibrated our leveling. That ego hit um, was, uh, was the first strike. And I wanted more than anything to get back to that senior level and get promoted to senior designer. But for some reason, it just wasn't happening for me. Um, I, it was even weirder during this phase of my life because I was friends with all of my coworkers and all my coworkers were getting promoted, but not only was I stagnant, I was getting demoted. So I, I really, really struggled during that period of time comparing myself to others and kept thinking, if I don't get to senior designer by this point, that will totally throw off my timeline to becoming a manager. And eventually I won't hit my goal of becoming a head of design by 40 um, but spoiler alert, I am not 40 <laughs> and I have already held two head of design roles till date. Um, it actually took me four years to get promoted to senior designer at Uber. And I think by comparing myself to other people's timelines and journeys, I was ignoring that my unique journey and stressing out about things that don't matter was, was not really serving me. I actually questioned at the time whether I could ever be a good designer because others were growing faster than me at the time. But instead, I kind of wish my younger self knew that even though my growth wasn't being expressed in promotion, I didn't I didn't have to compare myself to other people. The lessons I was learning and the things I was building were going to build the foundation for a great career. I kind of just had to trust the process and trust that I, I was different um, and everyone's uh, path is different. Thank you for being vulnerable. I too went through a similar experience and uh, growing up, uh, and I can say this because we are both of Indian origin and, uh, and, you know, growing up, uh, I, there was always the case where am I in the top three in yeah. class? Uh, and I, and that was a constant uh, pressure uh, in the family, in the society. It's like, if you didn't aspire for it, like you you must be weird for to not mm -hmm. do that. And so I have always grown up comparing myself and it and there's something about the sweet age of 40. I'm in my mid 40s, I have to say okay. that. 
but back a few years ago when I hadn't reached my goal of becoming a director at that time in a public company. And uh, so I was really comparing myself a lot, uh, especially when I saw some of my friends making that happen uh, but before they got to 40. But there was a beautiful thing I want to share uh, that I asked this question to another senior uh, leader, woman leader on like, what, what does she think? And one thing I took away was like, why not compare myself to myself? Like, how mm -hmm. have I grown as a person? What are some things that I look forward to that, uh, that I, I wasn't doing so many years back? And how have, like, it's almost like golf because I used to also play golf at that oh, time. Wow. And uh, so uh, I wasn't that good. So <laughs> to go ahead. but I used to enjoy it. I, whatever it was fun playing golf. But uh, basically that, you know, that I changed my whole way of looking at it. And so it's glad that you also are uh, like sharing so openly. And I, I'm glad we got to exchange stories here on this podcast. Thank you for sharing. Awesome. So one other thing is about... Uh, going as a team, right? Brené talks about the fact that no one successfully goes it alone. We feel the most alive when we connect with others and share our stories. And this is so important because one thing I, I, I noticed when I was reviewing this book was when somebody recollects a story, they feel that failure, they feel that pain. But when they share a story and others hear about it, they see the courage they see that uh, that uh, they, that's a lesson that they're able to hear from this person who went through the story and thereby you know internalize it as an audience so i found that very interesting and i i can i then like came to terms with i need to be sharing my stories more i'd love for you to give us an example of where you shared your story with others and experienced a deeper connection with that person Okay. So what's interesting on my end is it took me a really long time to be comfortable with sharing failure. Uh, designers specifically, as they interview for jobs, uh, what you have to do is you have to put together a portfolio. And a portfolio tells the story of not only what you worked on, but how you got there. And uh, one of my mentors looked at my portfolio as I was presenting it to her to just do a dry run and see whether I could get the job I was interviewing for. And she she told me, she was like, Amitha, you're really good at glossing over the failures and softening those edges and making it seem like it was super easy to get to where you landed. And the truth is, it probably wasn't. And people could really benefit, especially companies could really benefit from understanding where your roadblocks are um, and how you actually overcame those things. That's the meat of the story, not necessarily that you produce. There's like umpteen designers out there that can produce good looking designs, but what made your story and your struggle unique? Um, and I really took that to heart in terms of my work. Uh, and I started to take that to heart in terms of my leadership style. So um, recently I I spoke on a women's day at Com panel. I believe Women's Day was like about a week or two ago. And I shared a lot of these stories of personal failure, particularly this prior promotion story. Um, I actually felt a little embarrassed after I shared it that first time that maybe I had overshared. Maybe it would erode my credibility for the org to know that it took me so long to make that jump from junior to senior designer. 
Um, but after the panel, I got so many messages from women in the org, um, super seniors, super junior, um, various stages of their career telling me that they too felt themselves trapped in similar situations. And it was so inspiring to see a VP at their company having gone through the same thing and coming out stronger as a result. Um, it, it made me realize that I could really help other people by sharing some of my stories along the way because things were quite bumpy. And, you know, I, I really feel passionately about showing people that no failures can actually determine the course of your career. Only you can. It, it all rests with you. Wow. It certainly, I can resonate with that, uh, what you shared and that you being vulnerable helped others connect with you better at Calm. Uh, and uh, so I'd love to hear about the rising strong process. You mentioned that there were some frameworks, the three-step rising strong process mm -hmm. involves reckoning, rumble, and revolution. Talk about these three steps. Okay. So reckoning. Reckoning is... Um, kind of one of the harder parts for me, it's it's really about getting curious about your emotions. Uh, she talks quite a bit about how hard it is or how easy it is to actually avoid what you're actually feeling. I mentioned this concept before of chandelier pain and I, I reference it so much in my life where chandelier pain is the idea of like something where even just like touching it, uh, sends you with so much pain that you jump up and almost like a cartoon character, you're on a, a chandelier. <laughs> and that's how I felt about a lot of things in life. Um, and she even talked about how people tend to like balance pain, which is, um, you know, if someone hurts you, it's much easier to like hate that person and just, you know, avoid your pain by being like, well, that person sucks. So um, Reckoning, uh, she goes through and talks about all the obstacles to it. Uh, and I really love the paradigm shift of to actually reckon with your emotions is to get curious about them and understand them. The next phase is rumbling and rumbling is actually understanding the narrative that you're telling yourself that actually traps you. So this idea of like kind of, you know, having a rumble with your own narrative, I thought was really interesting. Um, she actually uses this technique that I used for myself. Um, in reference to some of the stories I told called the shitty first draft, where you actually write down uh, what it is that you are telling yourself around your narrative. And so um, what's really interesting and another story I'll kind of use as I talk about rumble and revolution is that I got laid off um, at Miso, as I referred to in my earlier story. And um, I was so convinced that after interviewing at all these companies and getting rejected, I had no future as a product designer. And in this rumble phase, I would say that my crappy first draft was basically that, that I wasn't good at what I did, that I would have no opportunity to, to shine. I would probably have to pack up and leave Silicon Valley. But the rumble phase kind of forces you to realize that you're just telling yourself a story that doesn't have to be your story. Um, and that kind of leads to the revolution phase, which is where you rewrite the story. And so in reference to this revolution, um, our, this layoff story that I was telling before, my dad kept telling me that someday I was going to say that getting laid off was the best thing that ever happened to me. He actually told me, independent before I'd read this book, to write it down and say getting laid off was the best thing that ever happened to me because the job I get after this will redefine my career. Um, really wasn't convinced. Um, but 
I kind of internalized that narrative and kept interviewing. And that was actually how I found the job at Uber. Uh, and I would say that that revolutionizing of my story and my narrative actually led me to persevere and, and rewrite that story of, oh, I'm not a good product designer. Uh, my career is over. Amazing, amazing. And uh, I, I, I second your dad and, and he's a very... <laughs> smart person and uh, looks like he's a great supporter for you. I completely agree with what he said. And it happened to me too. I, I too got laid off in my last Okay, job. we got to destigmatize that. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's tough, right? I think I've seen many people go through it. I've got laid off. My husband's got laid off and mm -hmm. everybody goes through that. And uh, just surrounding ourselves with people who are there to pull us up at that time, it uh, looks like that works, that uh, we're not going it alone. Uh, and, and thank you for sharing how you actually reckoned with that emotion and you rumbled with it and changed your perspectives through the revolution phase. You mentioned that reckoning was one of the toughest steps in Rising Strong. Uh, why is that and how did you overcome that challenge? Okay, so something to know about me is that I feel a lot of things, but the way that I process them are um, kind of like happy or sad. Uh, and I'm really bad at sitting with those feelings and breaking them down into something that is actually useful. So you may have gotten this from before, like the way I deal with my stress is like, I hit the gym, I go for a run. I go out with my friends, like avoid, avoid, avoid. Um, and I would actually say it was only when I started going to therapy that I realized that reckoning is just so important and is so incredibly different or difficult to achieve. Uh, my therapist used the term name it to tame it. Um, and what she actually gave me was this pinwheel where like on the outside was like, very basic emotions like happy, sad, angry. But as you got closer to the center, you're kind of breaking down like, am I disappointed? Uh, am I um, upset? Uh, there's a, like a lot of variations. And once you actually get to the root of what you're feeling and get super curious about that, that's when you can start understanding like what nerve this thing has actually hit within you and how that actually feeds into the narrative that you're telling yourself. So it's definitely not easy when you're someone that is also like, when you think about people who are in these leadership leadership situations, you don't really get that much time to sit with your emotions. You kind of have to make decisions like go, go, go. Um, and so I think something that I continue to struggle with is taking that time to actually step back and, and pause and, and gain perspective if something actually um, causes me to stumble along the way. Um, and my reports will probably tell you this, like I really try hard not to have a calendar like a typical VP um, because I think in having those moments of stillness and breaks throughout your day, you can actually take that moment to reckon with the challenges that are coming your way. But I'm not great at it. <laughs> I'm working on it. So important. Yeah, I, I do uh, go in and out of doing that myself and being able to reflect. In fact, my favorite spot to reflect is by the shoreline lake uh, and just sitting oh, wow. in the water helps me like just drop everything and just, you know, be. And that stillness uh, brings so much of uh, insight and creativity. Uh, we have a lot to talk about uh, even after the podcast. Yeah. 
What are some final words of wisdom you would like to share with the audience here? Oh man, this flew by fast. Uh, we should we should talk more. I love this. Um, okay, if there's one thing that I would say is probably the theme of this conversation and probably the biggest takeaway I think anyone should take reading this book and hearing stories like this, your past doesn't dictate your future. But it actually can if you wanted to in a very positive way. Um, so when you think about prior failures, they don't make you any less likely to succeed, whether it's getting fired from your job or going through a terrible series of breakups. Like, trust me, right before I met my husband, I was convinced that I was going to be alone forever. And it was only after I hit that point that I was like, oh, wow, like I found love. Um, and what you can do is actually take this past and use that to your advantage in order to make a difference. So in my case, I truly want to help others persevere despite their struggles with work stress and anxiety and come out on the other side even stronger. So had I not struggled with this in the past, I wouldn't have cared this much and found such rewarding work in doing so. So I'd really just like encourage people not to find patterns where you shouldn't. Um, but use those opportunities to actually reflect and jet set your future. Great, great way to finish. Past is not equal to your future. So that really gives a great opportunity for us, for us to reshape what comes in front of us. Well, before we close, I'd like to give a shout out uh, because we are both now wearing chief t-shirts. Yes. Uh, so we, I want to give a shout out to all the women's networks out there. I'm part of Chief, How Women Invest, How Women Lead, uh, Fountain Blue, and uh, several others, uh, High Power. So I want to give a shout out to the networks that bring us all together and help women grow in their careers. Awesome. Me too. Absolute pleasure, Preeti. Thank you so much for having me on this. Thank you so much, Amrita. Listeners, check out the book, Rising Strong. And thanks for tuning in today.